Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. <laughs> We're going to sound all depressed. Let's get it. <laughs> Kill the vibe. All right, here we go, go. Here we go. I- Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. 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 As you can tell... Yeah. We got LL. Yeah. And for the first time in history, yeah. my roll call failed. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. And my rhymes is vicious. Yeah. But I'll also say, yeah. Pudding is delicious. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema sugar yeah i need a beat yeah like quincy jones needs yeah. like his feet unpaid bill yeah back for more yeah sugar steve yeah happy yom kippur <laughs> Chris Robinson. Yeah. Me Ron for LL. Yeah. Y'all must be smoking, son. LL. Yeah. I say bless up. Yeah. I'm with the tribe. Yeah. This one's Quest Love. Like, Ooh, yes, man. like, what rhymes with Robinson? Son, smoking, son. 
Oh, that was y'all didn't hear the end of my. I caught it, but I, when I that when, must when, be smoking, son. I was <laughs> looking. I was like, okay, level. we were both like, wait, none rhymes with Robinson. We started. That was with smoking, son, and I then I with Robinson. All right, okay. So look, all right, all right. First of all, yes, we're. We're we're live in Los Angeles. In person, we're, we're, yes. we're we're taping in Los Angeles. Hollywood with no AC. Uh, with no man. AC, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> this is the Questlove Supreme podcast, of course, with Fontigolo, uh no. North Carolina's <sighs> finest yes, little man. brother. How, how's uh, preparations going for for? Uh, Block with party. Charlotte Day, Riley, what, what city? Uh, Durham is in Durham. Durham Day. Yeah, okay. made in Durham. Uh, no, it's going well, man. It's just you know we're at the last kind of stretch before we go. So, you know, you know how I go. I mean, a million. Eyes to dot T's the cross, you know. What I mean, and you're but, organizing it too. Yeah, not oh. by myself. Okay, it's, we have a team, but but me and Pooh, we're overseeing it from tip to tail. Oh, headaches out the ass. I get. Yeah. It. So, I but it's going it. well though. Sugar Steve, how's how's uh, life in, in in jazz business? Everything's good. It's nice to be here. They don't <laughs> let me out of Manhattan much, so it's good to get away. <laughs> Okay. Sugar Steve is weed free right now, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, there's that. There's that too. So I may talk more. During this wow, show. how this bright his eyes are! Look at his yeah. eyes. Yeah, I was about to say you seem very clear today for some reason. I took a shower. Yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> top, that's good. Top ones. You've been released from Sesame Street Prison. Yeah. Where have you been? Have the Muppets been holding you hostage? Hostage. Hostage. Yeah. I got negotiated out from Sesame Street, and I'm in. I'm here. I'm excited. Really? Yeah. No, nothing. No, everything's fine. Okay. No, nothing. No. I, I, I've been driving my kids to volleyball. Wait a minute. I was I about to now. say, did the strike even affect Sesame Street? It did not. Sesame Street. So none of the Muppets are unionized. No. They all, it's, they're free from that, which is good. Okay, that's that's good to hear. Mm. Well, as of this speaking, of course, you know, we resolved the strike. And you know who, like, wants me back at 30 Rock immediately, like. Wow, we had to grab you up <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Let's go. Laia, how, how's it going? I am going good. Now that we getting this week started. I was about to say, how long did it take you, Brittany, and Let me talk about this and, LL story. First of all, shout outs to Caldine. You got to shout outs to the people that make it happen that it took months. <laughs> But it was so worth it, of course. We're here. We're here. But yes, it's the perfect way to start our adventure with a legend. I've been having a what's the what's the term a tete 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 a tete a tete with with a, a very uh, a passionate I would say overzealous person in 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 the IG DMs about how we always disrespect. Oh yeah, with the K. I saw like, that. Yeah, so I mean, it's not like know. we're talking about her feet or anything like that, so. right? They no, don't know that not. episode. Steve. So <laughs> it's an LA callback. No, I mean, it is an LA. It callback. is. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Jones. So look, I'm I'm gonna do this Stephen A. Smith style because I'm world famous for the intros or lack of intros or the over enthusiastic intros. But I think that it's, it's it's important that our listeners understand why we should address our guest today. In, in terms of royalty, without making him cringe or whatever. So basically, I will say in in the past seven years of doing this podcast, you know, we've had presidents and musical pioneers and actors and sports figures and whatnot. Um, four out of nine Jacksons we've had on the show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but this is probably the episode I've been waiting for. I mean, from a guy that, that is, has co-authored a song about hip-hop being the love of his life, I will say that who better than to have what I deem probably I, I call him a junior pioneer only because in my he's the reason why my definition of the pioneer never gets the glory, but it's the person that comes behind exactly. it that yeah, improves yeah. on the pioneer. Literally our guest today is the reason why I think that because and I, I, I had to write this part down. Basically, you know, ad nausea 
that, yeah, okay, Curtis Blow was the first goal-selling rapper on a major label, but our guest today has improved on that 12-fold, and also he literally built the Def Jam empire without his success. I don't know if there would have been budget or whatever for the Beasties down to Public Enemy down, you know, literally built an empire. Not to mention literally so many firsts that our, our guest has achieved. If you want to say the, the three-minute rap song, the idea <laughs> of a course, the skit, emotions on wax, whatever. True. I had my only pair of troops. Yeah, sneakers. I was about to say, I endorsements. for him. The yeah. idea of pivoting <laughs> to something else besides rapping, the comeback, the remix. Like, literally, I made a list, and it was like over 20, but I would bore you all, and I know he's like, yo, I can't wait to get fuck out of here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome James Todd Smith, yes. a.k.a. LL Cool J to Quest Love Supreme. Thank you. Thank you, Now, man. you're also going to realize that the reason why we really haven't had our first true conversation yet mm-hmm. was I was waiting for this because pla- I didn't want to like <laughs> oh my freak God. you out. How did you avoid I didn't want to freak you out by like nerding out on you because I will go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But I was like, no, yeah, yeah, just save it. Yeah. save it. Save oh, it. Save it for the podcast. So. I hope you took notes every time you thought that. Well, While y'all were on tour, every time you thought that, I hope you took a note. Like, yeah. No, literally, it. he would come okay. and I'd hide. Like, uh, I don't want because I don't want him to think like I'm ignoring him or whatever and not returning his phone calls. But I'm also the kind of guy that wants to know like 12 things about his career in a casual moment. And, you know, I've always scared off many an artist. That's hilarious. That way. So no, we I had just, fun on the road, though, man. Yes, we yeah, did. Fun. Yeah. Oh man. And, and not to mention, I am I am back from Camp Cool J. Talk about, How about it. Yeah, we got to hear about it. I heard about it, yeah. but talk about it. How the I regimen mean, you put people the through? The tour, the tour was just, it was rigorous. I mean, you know, Quest worked so hard, man. I mean, rehearsing forty hours a day, you know, twenty four hundred hours a day, just bringing artists in and bringing guests in and fitting them into the set. And like on on stage, I would call him my general every night because he was. You know, just working so hard and so tirelessly to make it look effortless. You know what I'm saying? For the audience and to make it a, a show where everybody could just come in. And once they get in, they once they stood up, they basically never sat down for two, three hours and didn't miss three, four hours and didn't miss a beat. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was dope. Yeah, we pulled up on y'all in Raleigh, man. Nah, it was, we was at the Raleigh yeah, show. It show was it amazing. Worked. It worked. It works for real. We still got a couple more, but it really was serious. Like, it so worked. you did a great job on that, man. Like, I appreciate it was that. amazing. It was amazing. All right, so I, let me get to the nerdum yeah, yeah. part. Okay, so without the usual rigmarole, like where were you born, all that stuff. I actually, I want to know what was your life like in 1983, one year before you started your your journey to to your path. Like, what was typically happening to you in 83 by that point yeah so in 83 i was just running around the city um networking with you know other mcs and djs and producers and spending a lot of time in harlem i would go up to like see my man silver fox um he lived across he had a record store across from grant projects this guy named julio uh, gina had a record store on a label ccl records and um i was uh I spent a lot of time in Harlem at the record store, just kind of honing my craft, talking to Fox about cadences and couplets and stuff like that. And uh, like, you know, me and Coogee Rap would be like down at this place called Joe Grant's on 110th Street in Harlem, rhyming together. And you know what I'm saying? Me, him and Fox. And, you know, that. so I basically spent a lot of time. And then I'd be, if I was in Queens, I might be in like Herbie Lovebug's basement. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
when he was like just making beats. He hadn't he didn't have any records out or anything, but he was down there like so we'd be down there and just hanging out. And, you were born in Queens? No, I was born in Long Island. I was born in Bayshore. Bayshore, Long Island. Okay. Um and then, you know, I would go back and forth between Bayshore, Long Island and Queens and then you know, spent obviously most of my time in Queens ultimately, but I for many years I went back and forth, you know what I'm saying, to school. So because we always hear the folklore of hip-hop and all the Bronx stories, the Bronx, 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 and all right. those tapes, 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 how is the rest of the boroughs mm -hmm. getting spread of this creative pandemic? Like, Yeah, yeah, so that's a good way of looking at it, right? So... What happened actually is me being in Long Island, I was in North Babylon. I would go back and forth between North Babylon and Queens. When I was in North Babylon, next door to me was a bunch of foster kids. So a woman, a couple, the McCullers, you know what I'm saying? They had like five or six foster kids like in the house. And they were from Brooklyn, the Bronx, or uptown, like everywhere. And a lot of them, like my man Kenny from Brooklyn and, and Wayne was from the Bronx and Raynard and them would, you know, so... I would hear all the tapes, my man Eric Ward and all them, they would play all of the tapes from the Bronx. So I was exposed to hip hop from day one. Like I was exposed to like Flash and the Furious Four and the Force MCs way early, like before the records, before Rap is the Light, before all that. I was already hearing everything that was going on in the city. There were four first before five? Yeah, there was the Furious Four before they were the Furious Five. Yeah. Oh shit, okay. Yeah, so I was, you know, I was hearing all these records and hearing the Cold Crush so I got into it real, real early. So at like eight, nine years old, I was already like rhyming and trying to rhyme like those guys and trying to make up rhymes and stuff like that. So by the time I was 11 or 12, I actually started writing. You know, at 11 or 12, I started really getting into it. So that's why I was actually ready when I was 16 to start Def Jam because I had already been doing it like like you know, maybe eight years at that point. <laughs> you know, at 16, I had already been in hip-hop like eight years, like trying to, you know, yeah, yeah. get good at it. Who who was your North Star in terms of like, that's yeah. the MC I like? It was a mix of all of them. Okay. It was a mix of all of them for different reasons. So it was more like mixed martial arts than it was like one style. It wasn't just karate. It was mixed martial Man, arts. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it was, you know... And funny, you know, I actually picked that up from Bruce Lee, you know what I'm saying? Because Jeet Kune Do was like the first MMA, right? Like it was a way of the intercepting fists and it was all about taking all of these various styles and putting them together. So that's why, like, you know, early on I was able to do stories, love records, hard records, this and that. That's why, like, I can do any kind of song now. So it's like, I, you know, it's like a guy on a basketball court who could play defense, who could shoot, who could go left, who can go right, who could do threes, who could dunk, who could, you know, like Pivot. I prided myself in doing anything, you know, avant-garde records, like anything. So, and that came from just listening to all of them, right? Listening to hearing Spoonie and hearing Mel and, and you know, hearing Mo, but then liking DLB for different reasons, liking Tito for a different reason, liking Peso for a different reason, liking JDL because of what he does, liking AD for certain reasons, like liking Cass for other, you know, like it was all these different people, Shaw Rock for the Echo Chamber and, you know, hearing like, so it was all of these different people that, you know, just kind of, I just absorbed all of it, you know what I'm saying? Well, I got to ask you now. Did you ever in your wildest dreams ever imagine that like one of the one of the pegs of the ladder of your whole story that you actually go toe to toe with one of those pioneers like in the oh, beginning? No, or? definitely not. Definitely not, man. Listen, 
You talking about Mo D, right? Oh, yes. Like, oh, definitely not. No, of course not. Like, I love Mo. I, you know, I still love Mo. But, yeah. you know, it's like basketball, right? Or boxing. I mean, you know, De La Hoya say- had to fight Chavez. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless. <laughs> so, you know, that was just, it just came with the territory. But I didn't lose any respect for him. Okay. I never lost respect for him. I never felt, like, personally insulted. I always took it as part of the game. Yeah. I see that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've heard... Ruben's side, I've, I've talked to Ad-Rock, like them like being <laughs> right. at NYU, whatever. Right. So, first of all, how did you even have, and we, we heard the story about like your grandfather getting you, a, what equipment did he get you exactly? He got me two, I wanted techniques, but you know, my grandfather, <laughs> he, he, no, I wanted technique, no, you're getting Toshiba's, Sears. so I was like, oh, okay. Wow. All right, drive. so I got oh, the, the, yeah, I got drive, the Toshiba, yeah. okay. I got the Toshiba's, and I wanted, um, I wanted a Gemini, he got me a... Uh, I, it wasn't a new mark. I forget the name of it, but it was a different one. Okay. It, it had a crossfader and a, and, a, and a turn on it. And um, it didn't have a slide fader. It had a turn knob on it. But, uh, so I, joint. Yeah, okay. so I had the mixer. So you could DJ? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I started off that way because, see, my grandfather, he was a jazz musician. Okay. And he used to take me in the basement when I was maybe six, five, six, seven, and record me, like, doing little jazz things. And he would, like, mess with stuff and he had like a reel to reel and oh, I'd wow. be down there doing little jazz stuff and all that. You know what I'm saying? So I came up listening to like Jimmy Smith at the penthouse and you know all of these. But then I'd be listening to Smothers Brothers like comedy right. records wow. but yeah. then I'm listening to like so I, I, I got exposed to a lot of different kinds of music whether it was Miles or Charles Charlie Parker or Bird or Birdland stuff and Ella Fitzgerald and Duke Ellington all this stuff Count Basie records. So I got, and it was a lot of big band too. So it wasn't just the normal jazz. It was a lot of big band jazz. But I say that to say that's where I kind of got into it. You know what I'm saying? And then I ended up getting the equipment because I, I fell in love with it because I got hit on a mini bike, and my grandfather wanted to keep me in the house, and it was a, a choice. Settlement Either, money? No, no. Oh. It was, it was the settle. <laughs> they were just trying to keep me in the house because, you know, we used to have the mini bikes and all that with the, you know, with the. With the shoe shoelace tied to the throttle right, with no right. brakes on it, <laughs> just, yo, just running around the block, and I got hit on one of them joints, and then you know, they was like my grandmother was going crazy in the neighborhoods talking. That was like headline news. Okay, and then so he got me some equipment to keep me in the house because never any resistance to hip hop in your family in your household. No, but no. Did they know what hip hop was to be like? No. Well, well, the only resistance came later when I started becoming professional because my grandmother didn't really believe that it was real and she wanted me to stay in school and my mother secretly had made a pact with her that she would let me stay out of school for two years. Because remember, I dropped out in the ninth grade. To start. How were you when radio came out? I was 16, 17 when, when, when it dropped. The single, when, the, when I Need a Beat came, I was 16. Radio, I was turning 17. I was around 17. Because you so always your mom like a, had a deal. That you would secretly drop. Secret? No, my mother had a secret deal that she would let me stay out of school and pursue my dreams for two years, okay. and if it if it didn't work out, she would make me go back go to back school. school. But because I asked her, I'm like, why did you let me do that? And she said, because you were really, really passionate about it, and I knew you were young enough to be able to go back to school. Ooh. So that that was a she took that shot. I'm glad lesson, she did. Man. Nah, that's a <laughs> lesson. I'm glad yeah. she did. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Just curious about your grandfather. What instrument did he play? Tenor saxophone. Played the tenor sax. And um, so I used to, you know, grow up and just change, learning how to change the reeds and how to clean it and 
you know, mess around with it, stuff like that. Wait, you would play sex? I would mess around with it, but nothing of any consequence. I mean, I used to mess around with it, but nothing. You can at least play like Love Roller Coaster or something. You know, nothing nothing of any real consequence. But I but I did grow up around a lot of instruments. He would buy me guitars. I would break them and pop the strings and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, it was just, he had a love for music. And my grandmother loved music. And my mother wrote poetry. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, and, and played the, uh, the accordion and, you know. You know what I'm saying? So Yo, how come we don't know this? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, this makes sense. Yeah. This makes total Sound sense. Sound like yeah. Prodigy a lot, too. Yeah. Like the things you exactly. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson, uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through... It's true magic, because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. How did you even have the wherewithal to know that let me hand deliver these tapes? First of all, what's on the tapes? Are you just like freestyling and impeach the president or like? No, no. We, uh, so I, I was about to quit because I couldn't get any, make any headway because labels... Um, a lot of labels were turning me down. Well, well, it wasn't that many. But what was you the know, first label you went to? Oh, I sent something to Sugar Hill. I tried to get on Sugar Hill. Okay. And um, and that, when I started trying to get on Sugar Hill, I was probably like fourteen, maybe thirteen. 
And do, I was, do they know this now? They do now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so when okay. I was 13, what up, Lily? Uh, <laughs> and um, so when I was like 13, 14, I started sending demos to Sugar Hill, trying to get on them. They they re- they responded, though. They were polite. What they said, they? you know, we, we just want to inform you that we, we're not interested in your material. Just, you know, it was a standard letter. Right. So it was cool. And then after that, I was about to quit because I had been trying since I was like 14 years old and it had been two years and now I'm 16 and I'm about to quit because I'm like, you know, it's just I'm not making any headway. And I had made a decision to go pro and be a professional recording artist. And so my mother, you know, she found one of the letters. I had balled it up and threw it in my room and she walked in and found it somehow and was reading it. And then she came over and she was like giving me a hug because I was depressed. Mm-hmm. She's like, what's wrong? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, nah, then, you know. You know, I can't, you know, I don't have no equipment. I can't make a good demo, this and that. So she said, well, what do you need? And I told her I need a drum machine so I can this and that. need a beat. Yeah, I need a beat. (laughs) Exactly. And that was the demo. So I went out and I did a demo. She bought me a Korg drum machine. And I went to my man Spin Master Finesse's house in his basement. And we played it manually because we didn't wait to want to wait to learn how to program it. So we just played everything manually and did a pause tape overdub. And I made I Need a Beat. Um, the the demo. What? Yeah, yeah. I made. I need to beat the demo. Boom, So you didn't even know how to sequence it? Nah, nah. I just did it by hand. And then once I did it by hand, by feel, then I went back and rhymed to what I did by hand. And then I went back, and my man did some scratching on it. And I went back. I just did it that way. You know what I'm saying? And then I sent that in, and the rest is history. Here we are. So Ad Rock heard it. Ad Rock heard it, then he took it. Obviously, they had the real drum machines, you know. The, right, and it right. took it to another level. Took it was a similar beat, but he took it to a whole another level. Him and Rick, and you know. Well, number one, do you still have those rejection letters? I probably do in my house, in my grandmother's house somewhere. Yes, I would say yes. I'm waiting for the. Black I would say yes. <laughs> I would say yes. So bad. I would say yes. Okay. Yeah, I got them. What about that demo? Did that ever come out? It's around. It's around because that's you know it's funny. That's where um where they got. Drop like you know oh, and all really? that yeah yeah because I did all that on my demo seriously like, yeah 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 wow. so when the Beastie Boys did the, all that those little some of those little lines they did a lot of that was um you know based on the demo you know saying so wait my demo. while and while I'm remembering this okay so during the 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 Grammy 50 celebration uh, I overheard this is what really made me run out the room because I didn't want to hear the the story can you please tell me the story and I'm skipping a little bit ahead. Tell me the story of how you named Chung King Studios. Oh, so Chung King. So wait, just that alone, like he yeah, named yeah, name. yeah. So Chung King obviously was owned by John King, right? right. So, but it was in Chinatown, mm-hmm. and I could never remember his name. And I'm like, so we just started calling it Chung King because it's a Chinatown, <laughs> and we used to get all the good Chinese food around there. We loved it. So I started calling it Chung King Studios. I'm like, yo, we're going to Chung King. We're going to Chung King. And, and one thing led to another, and John just named the studio Chung King. Wow. And they just Chung King House of Hits. Yeah, and became, it, yeah. it became Chung King. Named by L.O. Yeah, awesome. because we just, you know, we used to get Chinese food around there all the time. You know what I'm saying? That crazy. Young studio. It could have been. <laughs> 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 You know what I'm saying? It could have been that. Like when you get a call back from them, mm-hmm. is this an instant, okay, let's make it happen? Or like, are you going through the, the regular process of what an artist goes through? I used to, first of all, after I sent them the demo, I would call Rick every single day for like two weeks to ask him if he got the demo yet. 
And every, every sometimes he would answer, sometimes he won't, he wouldn't. But I'd be like, "Yo, Rick, you get the demo yet? Nope, didn't get it yet. Okay, Yo, Rick, you get the demo? I used to call him every day, following up, like for like for like two weeks. Then when I, when when he finally called me, called my grandmother. I came in the house. My grandmother told me some Rick called. So I'm like going crazy. So I you know I call him from my kitchen. He called me. Yo, he said, Yo, come down. I said this. He said, "What's up?" I said, "Yo, what's up, man?" He said, "Yo, come down. We're gonna make a make a demo, make a record, blah blah blah." So I'm going crazy. And then I, I went down there, and uh, I made the first the demo. This first demo was called Catch This Break. And if you're looking for a gender, make you ache, buy this record and catch this break. <laughs> right? And so I took that. We took that, and he took that to Russell. So Russell was like, ah, it's the same old thing. It's the same old thing, blah, 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 blah. So me and Rick went back in the studio, and that's when he revisited the demo, and we made I Need a Beat. Okay. And then we made I Need a Beat, and that song just kind of, they decided because what was happening was Def Jam Productions was having problems collecting their money from Party Time Streetwise, the label right. that they were being distributed by, right? Was that, that owned by Arthur Baker? I, that I don't know. Okay, but that was what Teela Rocket's yours was was Def Jam Productions. It was on Street Time Party. It was on Party Time Streetwise. Streetwise that was the right. label, and so the they same label that brought us new, new editions, Candy yeah, Girl. Candy and Girl. so they were having problems collecting the dough. So. They ended up making Def Jam independent or turning Def Jam into a label because it was a production company. Then it became a record label with no distribution. And we made I Need a Beat. And then we made another song. I made my first couple of songs with, with no contract. Okay. Because I, I, you know, I didn't want, like, like nothing was stopping me. Like, we'll, we'll get to that. But what is a label without distribution, though? It's, like, it's, it's called pressing up the records and putting them out. We, we did, we sold. Okay, so in 85. How, 84. This was 84. So in 84, if I'm a, a budding young artist and I want to put out my own joint, how much is that going to run me? It, it is damn near impossible. It was it was just like, it was almost impossible. Because it, it, there, were, there are too many other hoops to climb through at that time. There was no, first of all, you got to remember, there was no access to information. You don't even have the access to the information to know how to go about figuring out how to make a record. Like, then you talk Did about... they know? Or are you their guinea pig? Well, they knew to a certain extent because, remember, Russell had been dealing with Curtis. He managed. He hadn't had any, right. you know, stuff, but he had managed his groups, running them, had, I think, maybe one album at that point. Right. You know, or, well, yeah, they, they had one album. Okay. They knew, but they I was a guinea pig in the sense of being the first artist on the label, for sure. Right. Like, they didn't... Never had ran a label like that before. We didn't, right. you know, nobody knew what we would do. But I'm just you know. saying in terms of, like, knowing that, oh, uh, so there's four stores in Philly that I need to put this in, Armand's Oh, yeah, yeah, no, and... they did a good job with that. We did a good job. I mean, I Need a Beat came out, and, you know, we ended up selling, you know, 50, 100,000 records okay. independently, and then we put Dangerous out and um, sold a little less, but did okay. Creatively, when, you, when you're making these songs... Uh -huh. Can you, you explain the process of how you and Rick are creating these songs? Like, is he just like making a beat and you're like, eh, I like that part and not that part? It's exactly it, what it is. It was, I, you know, pretty much through all of my music. But with Rick, what we would do is I would give him the basics of what I wanted to do, like the, the foundation, rather, right. of what I wanted to do. I'd say, oh, I want a beat like this. I would hum a beat or, or mouth a beat, you know, right. or something like that, right? Okay. He would go, he would, he would take that as the foundation. Then I would rhyme to it. I would, you know, if I had, most of the time I had rhymes already written. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would write to it. You know what I'm saying? I'd write to it. 
I do that. Then Rick would go in the studio by himself and play with a lot of different overdub ideas. He would go in and put surprises on it. He'd find guitar <laughs> bits. Right. He'd find horns. He'd play stuff for me. I'd be like, I don't know about that part. I like that part. And he'd be like, okay, well, what do you think about this part? I'd say, ah, I like this. And he would go back. So it was and really then, a collaboration. It was very and much you, a collaboration. You talked about that when you gave your speech, at yeah. the, when you uh, got your, I think it was the Lifetime Achievement Award, or it was... Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you right? Got it and you talked about like collaboration, how definitely. When you work with your producers. I oh, thought that definitely. was really big. All of them, always, always, because you know we change each other when we work together, right? So it's it's not just add water. It's but I, I like to leave room for the producer to do what they do. I don't. I'm not a believer in bullying producers. A lot of people, as they get established. They put more and more pressure on the producers and they bully the producers into a corner where they can't be free to create. And I learned early on working with Rick to just let the producer do what they do and give them an opportunity and then see what it is and then yeah. work from that space. You know what I mean? So I always approached it from a place of humility when it comes to creating. All right. So the thing that I really want to know is, and notwithstanding, and I, I mentioned at the top that, yes, okay, so... Full Force comes in and does something unprecedented before, and they turn, like, the the nine-minute song, the 10-minute song into, like, a four-minute song. Mm -hmm. With, so who knew, between the two of you, the art of editing? Because even on the album credits, right. it says, reduced by Rick Rubin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was it weird to you writing just 16 bars, and now you got to have a hook and another 16 bars? Because... You know, before you, rappers just rap for it forever. <laughs> right, right. It wasn't weird to me because I loved Rick James. And I loved, you know, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie and the Commodores and the OJs. And all of them had choruses and all of them had songs. And, and it, it was arrangements. So I was very comfortable with the idea of making songs. You know, and I knew the difference between, you know, I knew what I was doing. I was very conscious when I would do a song that was a song or when I'd just be doing a thing where I'm rhyming and I always understood the difference. But without the standard of knowing like, oh, I need a hook so this audience gets me or no, like, it's how a, do you know? You follow the light. You, you follow the light. You know what I'm saying? You just get out of the way and follow the light. So, you know, when you're making music and when you're creating something, you know, everything is not, it's science and art, right? It's art and science and, and, and it's soul and science, right? And you have to remember both. And there's a time to get out of the way. There's a time for science, and then there's a time to just follow the light. And so, you know, with a lot of those songs, it just felt like, that's right, that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I mean, even years later, I mean, Rick Rubin was like, you know, he was ready to jump off a roof about I Need Love. You know? Really? But yeah, but I but I wanted to follow the light. He like, you right. like it that much? Put it out first. He hated it. He thought it was crazy. What did but, he hate? What did he hate? Well, it's a very soft record. I right. mean, it, I emotional, that. it's vulnerable. It's like the exact opposite. It's the antithesis of Rock the Bells. It's the antithesis of of some of the other songs I had done. Mm -hmm. So it was very different, you know. And But my thing was range and doing different stuff and following the light and trusting it. But the thing was, like... It, we really weren't stopped because you did I Can Give You More and I Want You, which were leaning towards that. Yeah, it's the it's the execution, though. It's not just the idea, it's the execution. So the execution was a lot more romantic, a lot softer, a lot more gentle. I could give you more. Right. There's it was still, you know right. what I mean? I want you. Because I want you originally was over um, In Between the Sheets. You were thinking of sampling back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote that to In Between the Sheets. 
Shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You know, and if you listen to it, if you put I want you vocals over in between the sheets, right, right. it would have it would have been like <laughs> that would have been crazy. Jesus Christ. Like after I did success of I Need Love, I'm so cu- curious about everybody else's revelation. Cause you already knew. Mm-hmm. You knew this was in your canon. How did Def Jam feel when they first heard it? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it, yeah, it wasn't great. You had to sell it on Because <laughs> I thought like Russell was that's the song. That's the song. Were there women in the room? It just was like, you know, context is everything, right? Okay. So it's kind of like, it's like seeing a basketball player after they've been wearing them tidy whities forever and then the basketball player walks out with the long shorts. It's like, yeah, what's that? You know, so it was just like very new. It was just yeah. new. Even it was with a new the ladies thought. in the room, nobody but broke faith. On you know, besides Faith Newman, there was no women in I the room. Well, at that time, I don't even know if Faith or... was there yet. Yeah. I don't even uh, think Faith was there yet. I, it was more like Heidi Smith, the okay. secretary. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> well, the, the receptionist. <laughs> right. You know, they they you. were growing. We were still we were still very new at that point because that was like I had only I was only one album in, right. and Rick and Russell were going going through some things. But but radio must have been radio then, not the song, but actual radio that made I need. I, oh no! Exploded! It exploded! Yeah. Exploded! Yeah. Exploded! That was one of the first rap songs I remember hearing on yeah. the radio. No, exploded! That yeah. was exploded. one of the first rap songs I plagiarized. Yeah, it exploded. <laughs> Wait, to a girl acting like you. Was oh, mother, yo, check it. So the way the way that records—that's <laughs> hilarious. The way that records work is that you would have to put it out three months ahead of time. Mm. All right, is Cut Creator's real name Brian? Yeah, J. Brian Philpot. All right, so I went to school with. Cut Creator's cousin. Okay. So he would always come in with almost damn near demo quality stuff. Right, right. So I heard right. like you can't dance. I heard like all this stuff on he bring in a cassette, whatever. He was like the popular kid at school. So he had a copy of Bigger and Deffer, and I begged him. I gave him five bucks to dub the joint for me. And when I heard I Need Love, I was like, yo, man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I in my room. Oh my Yo, God. Yo, for real. Hilarious. I plagiarized the whole first verse. Funny. Gave funny. it to Mika Reed. <laughs> Mika Reed. It was all good. Shout until Mika Reed. Reed. Until Hank John was number one on Power 99 <laughs> for like months. That's hilarious. <laughs> for, for them first two months, boy, yeah. ah, I was the man. man, I was <laughs> the man. It's, it's just surprising me that that record, that they didn't get it, because especially like with Russell, because what he was doing with you know, with, well, I think OBR, I don't know if that was around the time. That seemed to be alone in his wheelhouse of like the kind of R&B, you know. OBR? The, the original black original. recordings. But that was oh, like with Blue oh, Magic. I got you. That was later. That was later. That was later. That was later. That's when he got Rush Associated labels and all uh, that. Yeah, R-A-L. Orange Jones and all that. Yeah, that was later. Yeah, that I thought later. that would have been right down his lane, though. It seemed yeah, like Yeah, I mean, he he was with it. Russell was with it. But you know. You know, like, you'd be surprised, man, like, how many songs I have like that. Like, there are a lot of songs. Around the Way Girl, they wanted to give up on. Wait, what? It, yeah, because it was slow at radios. Radio was, like, resisting it because it was new. What? Do, doing it. They didn't want to. They was unsure about. Did uh, they, like, Brenda's got a big old butt, though? Yeah, they like See that. See what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Yeah, they like that. Yeah, they, they did, actually. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so it was. That, that is crazy Because, yeah. like, I would think as an A&R, there were no A and R. Who uh, I was gonna say, were you your own A and R? Yeah, there was no A and R. You got to remember, we, you know, at, at that time in, in, in you know, in hip hop, there were no managers. I mean, Russell was the only guy that was even in that space, mm-hmm. and that he got in that space later. So when when I first started, there were really no managers. He was a promoter. There were there was no A and R. There was no industry. There was right. no hip hop industry. 
So, so they, you know, it's a it's a completely different type of mindset. Nobody knows anything. Everything is See, a first. now, every, yeah. you know, now it's like everybody can kind of come off like a genius. Uh-huh. Right. Because they know, you know, they got all this Monday morning quarterbacking and mm-hmm. everybody's a mogul <laughs> and all this. You got but 50 yeah, years yeah, of history. Bro, there, you know, yeah, there was yeah. no industry. Yeah. So, you know, it's like no America. You know, it's just like, you know what I mean? It's just like w- woods. You know, it's very different, like, at that point. Yeah. You know, you no know. Road. Now we're like in- infrastructure. Yeah. You know, you should yeah. no say calling no up Rick Rubin was just that's not a thing no more. Like just no. calling up your favorite producer or somebody. Well, he it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It was. Um, you know, he, he wasn't even known like that. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't. He was. He wasn't known. It was. He had one song with Tila Rock. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a question I've been dying, dying to know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was 85, and Rick Rubin's your producer. Uh, a year later, Rick Rubin's going to helm the Raising Hell record. So, all right, just for my satisfaction, at any point while making the song Rock the Bells, mm-hmm. Did you ever think to use Bob James's Take Me to the Mardi Gras well, with the actual so, bells on it? I mean, that's really, I, I've kind of got into this before with the story, but the reality is that was what the song I didn't was. Know. Okay. Yeah. It, no, it was Take Me to the Mardi Gras. I wrote it to that. And Rick, me and Rick planned on doing it. And then Rick did Peter Piper. Wow. 
And I'm like, yo, Rick. So why didn't you win the tug of war match between Peter Because Fight Run DMC had a gold album. Uh, they were coming off of two, two albums. Yeah. Two albums at that point, right? Like, maybe, yeah. yeah that was, was two yeah. albums. And it was two. just a no-no to... No, it was no. What it was was it's it's like it's kind of hard to like. Look, we Jay is from my neighborhood. Like running them from my neighborhood, we all know. Take me to the Mardi Gras. I can't really argue that. Like they don't know what it is. I right. just had plans for it, and when Rick, I guess you know, decided to you know do that with them, and one thing led to another, and they ended up with Peter Piper. But that's why I made two Rock the Bells because I. That's why I made the original. And didn't like it because it wasn't what I wanted, and then made the second one because I was so trying to. The original was the B side. The original was never going to happen because I was going to do it to Mardi Gras. Right, I got it. So once I didn't do it to Mardi Gras, I went in. I, we had to figure out another one. I did original. I didn't like it, okay. mm. and I was like, "This ain't good enough because I wanted Mardi Gras." Mm-hmm. So then we made another song, the second one that everybody cuts up. How how long did it take you to finally settle on the Trouble Funk? Go-Go version. It didn't take long. It kind of came together. The, you know, God had other plans. Okay. It came together well. It came together. It was all good. You know what I'm saying? Um, DC was happy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> well, first of all, listen. I love. I was just talking to somebody that, about that the other day. I love Go-Go. Listen. Like when um when Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers did I'm Bad Over, Come I was on. like, yo, yeah. that was crazy. I love EU, you know, Junkyard, you know what I'm saying? Like Chuck Brown, all of them. Like I loved the... The, the, the go-go scene. So that was always influencing a lot of what we did, too. You know what I'm saying? Rhythmically. So, okay, you, in, in all the first that I mentioned, you know, I'll also say that what's different about your success is that unlike uh, other pioneers, Sam Cooke, Ray Charles, James Brown, who kind of had to watch the, and I'll say the alt- Alternative versions of themselves blow up, i.e. the Elvis syndrome, where, like, you really became, like, the first solo teen idol. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just got to experience stuff that neither Spoonie nor Curtis Blow and them got. So in 85, as this thing is clearly going to be, like, important, what is stardom on that level like, that none of your peers in hip-hop are experienced. Maybe an occasional run DMC will know it, but I think it's different when you're singular. Mm-hmm. So what so, is that like? Because I know by this point, because the thing is, like, you have a cool factor, uh, a danger, you know, I think rappers, a danger factor, a cool factor, and all these things. And sex symbols. Yeah, you, and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I know that people are trying to in succubus manner, like like just pull from your energy and say, hey, come hang with us, come party with us. Yeah. You wanted to. What is it like in '85 doing well, what I would consider the most not debaucherous, but right <laughs> that period of, of a lot stardom. of debauchery. Um, so I, you know, it was two things. It was like when I'm on tour and I'm on the road. Like you know, if I go to a sneaker store, it's like crowds of kids outside. You know what I'm saying? And um. You know, banging on the limo and chasing the limo, and I how, dealt- how long did it take for you to like? Oh, I can't be normal anymore. Oh no, eighty five. That was pretty much the wow. beginning. Yeah, yeah. Or that was it. are you? And then do you walk outside it with nothing crazy. on, like no hat, no glasses. It doesn't matter. And they know it's no, you? they know it's me. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, it was- <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. So they knew. They knew, and um, so it was that. And then you know, the other side was you know, just I was in Harlem a lot when I was home. Hanging out with, you know, 
you know, all the guys that ultimately became the Peyton Full movie. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, it was like when Apple I was in. Those, yeah. so you knew those dudes? Oh, no, that was who I hung out with every day. I hung out with, you know, my man Chuck and Rich and Alpo and AZ. And that was where I kind of, as a young man, those are the guys that were around me. They kind of like took right. me in and okay. I had, you know, I got rock the bells out and I'm running around in Harlem with them all, all the time whenever I'm home. And then I go on the road and do my shows and stuff like that. And that's where, you know, so I started getting the, the, the big Cool J rings and the ice <laughs> and the jewelry and the furs and, the and, and all the cars and the benches yeah. and all that. Right. I was bringing all of that hustler stuff to hip hop because that's who I was hanging out with. You were more Harlem home based then. At your that own point, yeah. That I'm time, always yeah. Queens forever. I'm a, I'm a always be a Queens guy. Queens by all means. That being said, I did hang a lot. You know, I formulated a lot of my, you know, that energy I learned a lot in Harlem. So when when Queens is going through their first, you know, for an outsider like me, hearing the the Shan versus BDP war thing. <laughs> Like, which now I clearly understand what's happening. You know, Shan's like, I didn't say that hip-hop started in Queens or whatever. But do you feel some sort of way on the sidelines watching someone kind of go at Queens when Queens had nothing to do with the battle or whatever? Like, did you feel at any point like, "Mm, let me step in and... No, because, you you know, to be honest with you, you know, especially, you know, the mindset I had back then, he was smart to put my name in it and be complimentary on, on um, South Bronx. Fuck! So, I totally forgot. I said you know, trying to take... I, I didn't even think right, about that so, part. So okay. he, you know, that was smart, you know, especially the way I was built, my, my mindset, like it was best that... That was the right <laughs> approach. That kept me... So you did sort of feel like, hey... Yeah, yeah, but it was... But I was I was cool because, you know, instead of trying to take out LLs, uh, I was like, okay. Now that I mentioned it, I totally forgot. Did, did you pay attention at all to... The Shan thing at all? Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Were you ready to respond to that? No. Okay. No, because I didn't feel I didn't feel disrespected. Like, you just talking. You know For what the I'm record, saying? we never, Lady B never played that song in Philly. So I didn't know about. Oh, you we, mean with Shan when he went at me? Be, right. Oh, no. I didn't care about that, man. I, was, I thought it was funny. Really? I, I mean, I'm in the limo. I'm, you know, come okay. on. <laughs> oh, champagne bobbing. He bite her. Like, it's just, okay. it was hilarious. Like, right. <laughs> I'm laughing at this shit. Like, you know, at that time, come on, B, like, Pete Biter, okay. Besides, <laughs> I like the pattern, though. You know what I mean? Okay. But besides, no, but besides, like, you know, like the, 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 the folklore of. Busy B and Mo D, like beef really, really wasn't a thing besides like the Roxanne Roxanne, Wars. yeah. But with you, it's like, yeah. obviously there's something in you that makes people want to like, okay, he's <laughs> yeah. at the top of the pile, so yeah. let me try and take him out. Yeah. Like, how how did that feel? Um, Like, <laughs> did, did, did you have a, by that point, did you have a, not a crew, but I just mean like your native tongues, like. Okay. Well, no, because like I told I, you, I was a little ecstasy or that. No, nah, I had my dude. Like I told you, who I hung out with. So okay. that was my mindset. So, if anything, it was more like, um, you know, just making sure that I'm protecting my territory. Okay. That's the way I looked at it. Like I'm just not gonna let nobody step on my toes. You know, it's all good, but if you say something about me, I gotta, I gotta, you know, you gotta get this because I gotta protect my territory. That's the way I looked at it. It's very simple. Now, with Ice-T, I know the history of it, but I never knew how the Modine thing you started. Well, Mo, the Mo thing, look, first of all, I love him, right? Like, right. Silver Fox took me down to a studio one time. 
he was down there. I started rhyming in the studio. He's he was doing a, doing a session or something. I think we no actually I wasn't I was actually scratch that. I went to his session and we were watching and he kicked me and Silver Fox out the studio. He didn't want us in there and all that and you know oh yeah, you okay know, so. You know, but I still never said nothing. You know what I mean? He, that was on him. And then he just decided I'm bigger and better and all this. You know, forget about that. Put the Kango under the tie. Yeah, I'm like, come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's when I just started doing, you know, going back and forth with him. You but know what I'm who's saying? like in your ear? Because even then. Who's in my ear? I, I heard, like, I heard your response after the fact. Yeah. But like, again, like, who's in your head? I didn't I, nobody. I didn't need nobody to tell me that. It's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's some people. They're just built to, like, they'll hide in the bushes and wait for you, and nobody got to tell them to. Some people are built like that. Everybody don't need to be told stuff. Like, I've never been a guy that, I don't need you to tell me nothing. Like, like I, I'm paying attention. So it's like, you <laughs> know. That makes you a different animal because oh. I'm saying <laughs> this. But then the reason why I'm asking you this, because right. I think it's amazing. Well, for starters, you know, when we, we talked about this briefly on the tour. That, you know, because I, too, was wondering, well, how's this Ice-T thing going to work? Like, you know, and but then I realized, like, wow, that's crazy. Like, LL has amicable relationships with everyone. Clearly, it was a sport. Oh, definitely. I never, ever, ever. But we also come from a culture in which blood has been easily shed without even right. thinking about it. So let me let me tell you, I, I can explain that to you. So one thing I learned, right, and this is, this is the honest to God truth, by me hanging out with gangsters so much... As a youngster, I learned that the last thing you want to do is walk around trying to be tough. That's how you get yourself in trouble, mm. trying to be a tough guy. Okay. So what does that mean? That means that, now mind you, if somebody tries to do something to you, that's a different conversation. We're not talking about that. But I'm talking about the wandering around with your chest poked out. That's how you get yourself in trouble. So when I see Mo or when I see, it's not, I'm not beefing. It's what it is. Okay, you said that. That's where we're going to leave it at. Mm-hmm. And we're going to leave, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, I don't have to get, it doesn't have to go further than that. Because I've, I'm confident in my skill set on the mic to handle this. Okay. That's how I felt. And I didn't see any reason to try to okay. go further Escalated, than that. Yeah. Plus, yeah, because why? I'm not going to test you as a man. I don't need to do that. I don't need to try to test Ice-T as a man or test Mo D as a man or put them in a position where they got we got to go further because then that's just, that's kind of would speak to my weakness. Mm -hmm. It's more about like, yo, this is what you said. Okay, so we're going to settle it like this. That's where you want it. Now, I mean, you know, Man, and if, I wouldn't go no further. Every, if that. everyone else has followed suit, fast forward 30, 30 or more years, seeing him on that four store, of on the, in the farm, that was a moment, and also realizing that y'all have been these men who you are today longer than anything before being famous. So yeah. it's, it's, I'm so curious. Like in that moment, I know y'all greeted each other backstage and everything, but did y'all have a moment of like, damn? First of all, hip hop built this, and second of yeah. all, brother. Yeah, I wanna, look. I told, I, I said, listen, man, do what you do, man. I told him, like, yo, Ice, get out there. Do what you do, remember? I'm like, yo, do Wait, it. You weren't in the diss you. I'm like, I'm like hey, diss me. He did a little something. He said, and, he, he, and Ice came to me like, yo, man, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, I'm <laughs> well, a dad I, now. Da, 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 but it's da, also I, weird watching him because he's too, too older to most people in real life anyway. So seeing yo, him do those songs is also kind of yeah. like. But I loved it. Like, my thing is like, <laughs> yo, it was like, that's why I still did I shot you. I still said Crutch, Mo yeah, D, Hammer, and Ice-T's yeah, Ice Curl. Yeah. I love Hammer. That's my man. I love Ice. I love Mo. But I'm going to still do the songs. Like, I'm not going to respectfully, like, you always got to ask yourself this question. If you did then what you're doing now, would you be here now? I'm, mm. not, I'm not changing that. 
I'm not going to be editing my songs and pretending that the song was something different because I've gone to a different stage in life. I'm not doing that. I, you know Christian what I'm saying? Prince. I'm doing the song. <laughs> right, Christian, right. I'm doing the song. Not this right. is the song. Now, I was so happy to see you at the show because, first of all, that was my first time ever seeing you live. Yeah. And so I was so happy to see you do Jack the River. I knew he was going to do the hits. I was like, okay, I know we're going to get them bad. I know we're going to get Mama Said Knock You Out. But, bro, Jack the Ripper, Mr. Goodball. Yeah. I was like, see? yo. Oh, yeah. no, <laughs> Who's that Who's I that was that like, oh, we, no, no, it's just... can, we did candy. I was like, oh, he, yeah. like, that was for us. That I told like him his head. filler is just as important bro. as the yeah. hit joint. Oh, nah. You said it. You said it. Right. Nah, bro. Nah, straight well, up. Also, shout out to, you know, the Z Trip also. Yeah, but you did say it. You, you guys both said <laughs> it. It was important. It. it was important to, said it. to do both. All right. So, what I want to know is, uh, oh God, we're still in '87. <laughs> how how did you meet the LA Posse? Right, and why didn't Rick produce the second album? So Rick and Russell got into a beef over I don't know what it was about. Whatever it was, they started having tension in their relationship. Rick was angry, mm-hmm. and you know somehow they separated. Or and Rick didn't want to produce it because of that reason. So it was political. It had nothing okay. to do with me. Me, mind you, we later did on. Did you want to work with him? Of course. Or? Okay. Absolutely. I mean, it was a comfort zone at that point. And, right. you know, I mean, we had just had this platinum album. Like, mm-hmm. it was, everything was great. But, you know, po- politics. So it was time for the second album. And, and the L.A. Posse were working on records um, with another artist. And the records were sounding like they were trying to make LL sounding songs. It sounded like they were making LL sounding songs to right. Russell. Okay. So Russell played, gave me, told me to get with them. And so I got with them and we started talking and vibing. And, you know, we were all, you know, there was just some dudes from California, which I love. Yeah. Now, how strange of, a, of, of an adjustment was that? It wasn't strange at all because, you know, my father had moved out to Cali. Um, and I had, um, when I was 14, you know what I'm saying, I had been out there already with my pops a little bit. Okay. And so... Um, you know, getting with Bobcat and getting with Muffler and getting with all of those guys in California, I loved it. And they would take me down in the hood and all that. And, you know, <laughs> Bobcat would have me down there over the set, all this crazy. Word. Oh, man. It was the wild out. So, you know, we, I, you know, I love Cali. So that's why I have such great relationships and friendships in California and so many, so much love out there. So my second album, this is 87. I made I'm Bad, I Need Love, all them songs with Cali producers. So I was already kind of with like getting outside of the box it didn't it was about the music for me mm-hmm. it wasn't about where you're from because I felt like I was gonna write the songs and bring to bring to it what I needed to bring to it you know what I mean so that was the vibe you know what I'm saying wow and we we ended up so that's when we you know you had k-day and Greg Mack and, oh, and you know you know world on wheels and did you, you know, live out there or you just recorded No, no, actually there? I brought them to Queens. Okay. And they lived across the street from my grandmother's house. I got them a room <laughs> and, I, I, and then what? I Yeah, yeah, I got them a room in the lady across the street from me, her house in the basement. So they was living there across the street. Okay, you got to answer this one question for me. What is a recording budget? So Paz told me on tour that 3 Feet High and Rising was made for 14 No, no, no. Three feet on rising me for twenty one thousand mm-hmm. to save money, because Pasa told me that uh, a Q tip verse got erased from Afro Connections at a high five. Because oh, wow. Paul was trying mm-hmm. to save a uh, uh, two inch tape, mm-hmm. so he told me De La Soul's Dead cost fourteen thousand dollars. 
what is what was a budget for a record back then? Well, it it varied. So you know, I mean, on around that second album, I don't know, maybe somewhere between one hundred fifty and two hundred fifty. Okay, somewhere around there. You Which know seemed like it was fair for then, correct? It, it was crazy. I mean, okay. it was. I mean, it was. <sighs> I mean, you know, you, you get a Benz for 30 G's. Man. Okay, it, was 40, okay. yeah, it was crazy. It was right. you, you rocking. All like, right. you are out of control with that. Like, you sky's the limit, baby. Woo, we in here now. Do you still own your grandmother's house? Yeah, so I do. what is it about that environment? Because I believe that you said that you always write your best when you're in that environment. So, so you know, you know, my, my uncle told me there was some magic there. So, you know, I just believe if you're gonna, if you're gonna write songs, for people, you have to be able to relate to the people. Even even nowadays, you know, jumping in and out of, you know, Uber Blacks and town cars or being fancy, you're not connecting with the world. And the thing that you lose Shut sight Shut up, of, all y'all. <laughs> Why lose, all y'all motherfuckers <laughs> looking at me? I was thinking about LL, literally. I'm like, he's right. He's like, his yeah, but magic I felt like, Sam, they be out. Like, I yeah. Felt, you know what I mean? That shit is That's hard. about you, yeah. not, not about us. I, like, about you. I have no guilt whatsoever. <laughs> that is you, I'm doing sir. I have years, no guilt whatsoever. I just got that made back. So you got to be able to... Nice car, too, by the way. Very nice, very nice. I was like, yo, I got to get one of them. That was very nice. All right, El, um, go ahead, man. Very nice and Maybach. Got Quest got a very nice Maybach. That's, it's, oh, that shit is nice. That's yeah. nice. Mean. Yeah. That's just mean. Dog, will you stop? Go ahead. Let, him Let him cook. Let him cook. Okay. Let him cook. So I'm like, yo. So, I, But, you know, I just, I just feel like you got to connect with the people. And the thing you lose sight of is danger. And danger makes you write differently. Wait, did I hear a rumor that you once entertained the thought of writing... At Rikers or some shit, like. Well, I I, I visited visit, the jails yeah. a lot. I visited the jails a lot. I did. I visited the jails quite. But a But did I times. imagine that you actually said like I got to? No, it. I would visit the jail and then go to the studio. I did that during the Goat album, actually. You visited oh. like the folks there. Or you visited somebody personally. Both. I knew guys in there I didn't know was in there. And not just you know? right, like, oh, <laughs> what you doing here? <laughs> and not just right Just right because, like, that you know? Jersey, Yeah, I went up north right now. I probably know half the dudes <laughs> in that joint. Like, three decades after, or three decades plus after the fact, do you find, okay, so I, I understand that some might see, and I'm not one of these people, as, as evidence of how many songs I'm trying to throw from, from Panther in the set. Right. That people's relationship with Panther is different after the fact that it came out. Light told me the story about your involvement with self-destruction. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't realize that you wrote Light's verse, and mm-hmm. he told D-Nice, like, look, not for nothing, but when I come back, I got to come back on something. Yeah. So you, like, can you tell the self-destruction Yeah, story? self-destruction. So... Basically, you know, they asked me to be a part of the song, and at that time, I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't. It, I just didn't feel like that was the right way for me to reintroduce myself to everybody coming off of this record that had been kind of, you know, panned and people sleeping on me and all that. But I, at the same time, I wanted to make a contribution of some sort. So I wrote MC Light's part. You know, Scott's tape with a razor blade tape to your collar and all that. You know, yeah, yeah. So I did that for for Light. And, you know, I felt great. You know, people didn't know, and I was cool with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've done that a lot. You so know what I'm saying? The self-destruction joint, that made me think, the Heal record, the... Human the Education human Against Lies. Lies. Why weren't you in the video for that? One of those records, I was busy, and then, you know, I, man, I, 
my my schedule back then, you know, was different from most rappers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I was on a different level. Yeah, to be I was, honest he was with selling you. records. Yeah. So I was on a different level. So I just was busy, yeah. and I just couldn't do some things, and I would say no to other things. And, and you know, I'm unapologetic about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is what it is, bro. Like. I did it many times. I, you know, EPMD. I'm on, yeah, I was, yeah, I'm yeah, late Rampage, to the party. Yeah, Rampage. I, yeah. Like two years ago, I just someone's like, you know, that's not LL in no, it is the Rampage. Yes, it is. That's you. That's absolutely me in the video. Absolutely. Then my listen. The, the real story is that you know, at that time, I was in. I, don't, I think I was in contract negotiations. I was midway through it. My father, just who was my manager at that time, just absolutely did not want me in that video and just drove me absolutely bananas. And I said, "Well, we got to figure something out." So you know, I finally just said, "You know what? Let's just just put a silhouette there. I do it for a silhouette because I can't play these guys like that." Right. And so I did it with the silhouette. You know what I'm saying? So that was my way of of. Doing something for the compromise. Them. Okay, I you know see. what I'm saying. That was my way of doing something for them because my pops was driving me bananas, and um. Yeah, what was that like having him as your manager, bro? Like, my father was, <laughs> he was funny, man. He was something else. He was something else because remember he had his own label. Um, before that he had, you know, he he, uh, he had a label. He, he yeah, my father, you know, had a label, Salsa Picante, and records, and you know, he used to you know work with you know different artists like the Coasters and different people, and oh, um, he was uh. Word? Yeah, my father, yeah, my father was a singer. Dude, you're Soul singer. Yeah, he was a soul singer. Okay. And so he was, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, but he was funny, man. You're going to get this kid his money. He pulling out knives on the record company. All <laughs> shit. He was bananas. Hell, pops was bananas. Sounds like my best. I loved him. I loved him. May he rest in peace, man. He was something Jesus else, man. He was, oh, he was. Oh, he was a piece of work. Was dude. he managing you until he couldn't anymore? Yeah, he managed me until um, it got over his head. It just, honestly, to, it just... Like it, TV, film... It just, to be honest with you, to give you the real honest answer, the the the, the, the career and the, the money that was coming, the stuff that came, it got beyond his ability to handle. You know what I'm saying? And it's, you know... I get it. You know, I, I, I got to pay my taxes. You know, <laughs> I my, get my, it. My taxes got to be paid. Yeah. Like, we can, we can talk about all that tough guy shit, <laughs> stocks and equity. All. Yeah. Did you Still pay your taxes? Pay oh, yeah. Like, like, let's start there. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? So I got to pay my taxes. Yeah, I got to pay my taxes. So I was like, yo, you know, I start getting little calls like, how much? What? <laughs> I'm asking him, and he's like, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, my bad. Like, you know, no, I think we need I'm to I'm wine yeah. from Trader Joe's on the corporate card. I'm like, yo, come on, B. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't that big of a deal, but it was just like, come on, B. I feel you. you know. I feel you. Yeah, I love him, though. I love him. He was a good guy. What up, QLS fam? Okay, so I think this is the perfect place to stop part one. Can you believe one hour and we only got to 1990? Yep, believe it. But we wanted to take our time with this one because y'all know this is years in the making. So come back next week or check out your podcast feed, part two of QLS and LL Cool J. This one was definitely worth the wait. Shout outs to LL and make sure you stay tuned for his album, The Force. Thank you for listening to Questlove Supreme. This podcast is hosted by Amir Questlove Thompson, big boss man. Lair, St. Clair, so blackity black. Myself, Fontigolo, Fonte Coleman, Sugar Steve Mandel, and Unpaid Bill Sherman. The executive producers are Amir Questlove Thompson, Sean G, and the unbothered Brian Calhoun. Produced by Brittany Benjamin, my dog, Cousin Jake Payne, my motherfucking man, and Lair St. Clair, my work wife. 
Edited by Alex Conroy. Produced for iHeart by Noel Brown and Mike Johns. Audio engineering by Graham Gibson, a.k.a. Double G, at iHeart's L.A. studio. Thank you for tuning in. Check us out next week. West Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.